Come on, stop fucking around, man. I'm not fucking around. Do it! Well, one of the things about Beyond that always struck me is that you have this band and like i hate to use the term like like but it's it's high school band right like you guys were like high school buddies you do this band and somehow it's literally like the most talented people in the new york hardcore scene like some i mean you got alan cage vic tom capone yourself as a vocalist like it's just nuts to think that they that all yeah, that was actually they were they were and to be honest, like as like talking about high school, they weren't even the most talented people in our high school. Like we like the guys in 1.6 band also went to high school with us. And um and there was just there was it was just the time, like like the late 80s, there was just this sort of like musical thing happening in our area where like you know, I I you know, I I've jokingly interpreted it as possibly being just being like you know it's a big big like italian american neighborhood and like you know i you know i i always say you know i always blame like my or my you know i give credit to like my irish side for having like why i can write lyrics and like my italian side from why i'm like i'm pretty good at music and why all my all my friends were italian american and they were all like these insane musicians I mean, that might be like a sort of antiquated way to, you know, interpret it. I mean, it was, there was this big metal boom happening in high school. Um, but, uh, but it was, we were, we were all part of this huge scene of like maybe like 15, 20 kids who were just, and they were all like, I, I was the only one who didn't really play an instrument because I was left-handed and I couldn't get a left-handed guitar at the time. <laughs> and that's it. That's how I ended up singing for beyond. Um, but they were all really talented and, uh, you know, and and I and they were all influencing each other too. You know, so uh, yeah, because I think Vic was, even said something about like learning from Tom. Like you're, you know, oh he yeah, like, he like so it's like he took like what he learned from Tom and what he learned by himself and what he learned from playing along the Metallica and probably Bad Brains and like all bad in the brains, blender. Yeah, Bad <laughs> Brains, Metallica. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, no, I think, and that's what I, that's what I meant when I, when I said, I think Inside Out was, was like beyond, but just better because I think, you know, I, uh, I mean, I could see the, the, the guitar patterns that Tom plays and the, um, you know, like now that I do play guitar, like I have a better understanding of it and, and Vic did sort of take that, those guitar patterns and just sort of like do his own version of it. Um, which was end up inside out, and even to an extent, uh, one hundred eight. But but one hundred eight, I think, is more. It's way more just Vic, and way more like metal. You know, it's 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 pretty metal. Yeah. Um, but uh, they were always, you know, they were always, uh, and uh, and the guitar player, and we I mentioned this in the movie, the guitar player from One Point Six Band, Mike. He was in Third Planet with Tom, and Tom sort of learned from him. Mm. So it was like they were all they were all influencing each other. So the movie really makes it at least seem like you guys all just have remained friends since then. Like, which is I mean, that's I I, and I've mentioned it before, I think, in previous episodes. Like, I love stuff like that, seeing like people that became friends in, you know, high school and then through adulthood, no matter, you know, I mean, sure, 
things can ebb and flow and you probably go through periods where you don't hear from them. But like even seeing the footage of you all like rehearsing for the Rev Fest, it just looked like a bunch of guys like having a good time, like a, like a high school reunion. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it is our high school reunion because we didn't. None of us went to our high school reunion because that's that's the those are the people I'd want to, you know, I really want to catch up with before anybody else. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we we we've kept in touch. You know, there there were periods of you know uh, in like our late twenties, early thirties where we weren't in touch with each other. You know, Vic had. Uh, you know, Vic being part of like the Krishna thing, you know, he, he wasn't as, he wasn't a sort of social presence that he is now like online or whatever. And, um, and then Tom, you know, was when he was playing in quicksand, I really wasn't in touch with him at that time. Um, but we always sort of find each other, you know, and then, and then we catch up and then we go our own ways. And then we, you know, um, but now with like, uh, you know, like, uh, I, I keep in touch with Vic through email, like like at least semi regularly. And Tom, you know, because we did we started doing Beyond shows again. Um, you know, I keep in touch with Tom like like pretty regularly. So, awesome. but yeah, we were we were all uh, we were all high school friends. Um, and uh, and you know, I mean, Al, Alan didn't actually Alan actually didn't go to our high school. Alan went to the high school like the next high school over. Um, and he was, he was someone that Tom knew through shows. Um, and then I remember he came to one of our, like there was a battle of the bands, not, not the, not the event that I talked about in the documentary, but there was like another battle of the bands thing that I do remember Alan showing up. I think it was the first time I ever heard of Alan or saw Alan, but he was, he had long hair and he was wearing a Cro-Mag shirt. And there was this, and our and our friends were in this band called Inner Strength that I think that he eventually joined. He eventually joined with Vic, um, but before he joined, um, they were playing like the Battle of the Bands, and he was like moshing at the show, um, and like you know, he and this guy John Vitali were just like whatever. And that was that was when like, except for Tom, none of us even had even heard of moshing or you know besides like seeing slam dancing on like uh, on like. Quincy show or like um you know something like something like that we have ne- we had never we but we definitely had never seen like moshing you know like that kind of like that kind of thing and they were and so Alan was one of the first people that I've ever seen do that and and you know he was a big guy and he was he was he was kind of intimidating you know um but then uh you know we quickly became friends because I'd see him at shows and then he and then he joined inner strength and I knew those guys so that's sort of how, you know, eventually he made it into Beyond. So Vic, I know, talks in his book basically about um, – because, you know, when I first heard Beyond – Wait, wait, wait. Wh- are, are we, is this just the interview? Are we just going to – Yeah, we're just <laughs> kicking it. We're just, I, yeah, I, I wasn't sure, but I figured out – Keep it rolling. Yeah. <laughs> are, we just, are we just going with it? Yeah. So I was saying, um, you know, when I first got into Beyond – in high school was when the CD came out on the some records with the demo some records. Yeah. And I didn't know for a long time that Vic and Alan didn't play on the demo and that they joined later. And Vic talks about with inner strength that Tom Capone did this almost like a corporate merger and like took the two hardcore guys from inner strength and totally. then the two hardcore guys from beyond you and Tom. And we're like, yep. okay, now, now we're a unit. 
And then that's like yeah. the, the lineup most people know. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's exactly that's exactly what it was like. Um, I mean, Dominic, Dom, you know, and Dominic and Lance were part of that sort of circle of friends that we had. Those music, you know, and obviously from the demo, they're they're you know, you can tell their musicianship is is like stellar. Um, but they weren't interested in like the hardcore scene. Like they weren't they they and they weren't even interested in playing CBGBs. Like I mean, the Lower East Side was like you know, it was pretty rough in the late eighties. And, um, you know, they didn't, you know, be like, you know, kids, there were, there were tons of kids in Long Island who lived an hour from the city who had actually never even been to New York city. You know, I mean, I don't know, I don't know if that was the case with them, but I know that they weren't in any rush to be playing like in downtown New York at the time. And that's exactly what Tom and I, that was our purpose. Yeah. We wanted to play CBGBs. Um, so, I mean, it, it, you know, probably all along, I knew that day was coming, um, but Dominic and Lance were very close friends. I mean, they weren't, they weren't as close to Tom as they were close, they were, but they were very close friends of mine. And, um, and I sort of, in the back of my head, I probably knew, you know, uh, there's probably going to be a day when, when uh, we're going to have to replace them in the band. Um, and then that day came and it was, you know, I talked about it in the movie, it was, it was something that I definitely harbored guilt over for like a really long time. Like it sort of um, just, be, you know, they were such close friends and I, you know, I think they both really loved playing in the band. Um, but the reality was, is, you know, if we never would have played CBGBs and we never would have gotten, the, you know, got the things and, and Vic and Alan were like the obvious choices. Like they were, you know, Vic was, Vic was, you know, maybe my best friend at that time. And, um, you know, we knew, we knew Alan from playing in inner strength and, uh, and that, you know, it was like, they were right there to, uh, you know, to, to join the band. Um, and then our friend Rob, our friend Rob was the bass player for inner strength. And he was, he wasn't so much into like the hardcore scene, but he was into, he was into play. He actually played our first show with us when we played CDs and, um, and he was, uh, and so then we, we joined, we were five piece for, like I was saying before, we were five piece for the first, um, like three shows. I think we played three shows. Um, we played CBs, we played a, a Long Island metal club called Sundance where they, they started having hardcore shows and we played the right track in, which was sort of like a, like a big spot. Uh, it was in like Nassau County on Long Island, uh, and it was a big spot for like hardcore shows. Like there was, um, there was a big, uh, it was called the birth of unity show where I think like sick of it all played their first show. There. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's um, like I've seen that today, uh, crippled youth, um, what a maybe bill. straight ahead played there. But, uh, but so we played, we played three shows with Rob and then Rob, I think Rob and Alan weren't getting along. Like there was, there was something. And um, that's what Vic so said Rob, in, in his book that uh, he said that Rob kind of straddled both worlds of like the hardcore side, but also like the, the metal. And then he and he, Alan butt heads. Yeah. He, he and Alan, but he and Alan butt heads. Um, so, uh, so, so, you know, Rob, Rob quit the band and then, um, uh, and then we were just a four piece, uh, but Rob, I mean, Rob is actually still like a, like a really, he was part of that same crew and he's still like, a, like a very good friend of mine. Like I have a, I have this email group that since the internet began in like the mid nineties, like, 
uh, we started this email group uh, with with most of the guys that I grew up with. Um, Vic and Alan are Vic Vic and Tom or Alan are aren't involved in it, but like Lance, Dominic, Rob, and then like all the guys from One Point Six Band are in it. Um, so I still keep in touch with him. Um, but I think you know, like I was, I think I was saying before, like I, I think Beyond was a one guitar band you know i think i think uh i don't know i think uh you know it was it was leaner you know it's leaner with one guitar um and uh you know it was you know and it was still like pretty powerful um oh yeah especially with like vic on bass and and, uh alan on drums um it fit more with like the bad brains and and dag nasty like I know they were big influences on you guys and like Absolutely. they all had, Absolutely. you know, a four piece, one guitar, one bass, you know? Yeah, so, exactly. Um, and I, and I also think um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the fact that it was only four guys on stage gave us room to like jump around. Yeah. Like I do remember those couple of shows where it was five guys. It was a little tighter, you know? Um, but yeah, Dag Nasty and, uh, and, uh, and bad brains for sure. I, you know, they were huge, huge influence. I mean, especially Dag Nasty, uh, for me and Tom, for Tom and me, when, when we first, uh, started the band, uh, we had gone to, we went to CVs to see, it was Dag Nasty, government issue and verbal assault. And it was verbal assault trial had just come out. Oh and, man. Um, and Dag Nasty, it was like wig out. It was, it was, you know, the wig out era. And, um, and back then, like people in New York didn't go to, if, a, if bands from DC played CBGBs on a Sunday, there was nobody there. Like, you know, uh, Warzone will play one Sunday and it'll be like 500 people. And then the next week, like Dagnas would play and there was maybe like 30 to 40 people there. Like it wasn't a lot of people, um, but Tom and I went cause we just fucking loved Dagnasty. Yeah. And, we, and oh. uh, yeah. And then after, uh, like, so when we were writing songs, like it was, it was clear that like Dag Nasty was, was going to be like an influence on, on that music. I have a, like a weird, a weird question that doesn't have anything to do with beyond our music. I live and grew up in Orange County, California. Right. So I know I've been to New York city. I played New York city. I don't know how long it takes to go from Long Island to CBGBs. So as a, 16 year old 18 year old how hard was it for you to procure transportation and not at all not at all um i i I guess i guess the uh i guess the first few times i went to cvs i uh, you know i remember i remember meeting tom uh i met him at a backyard party um we had we had friends from that same group uh my friends vito denny and mike sorrentino they they had this band called Bloody Uterus, where uh, it was kind of like a joke band. Is that you know, the like one that uh, played played under the the ramp at the exactly the backyard? They, they played they played Vic's backyard party, yeah, but, yeah. but they were they were playing this other party, um, and I, and Tom was there, and he and I started talking, and and it was clear that we were both connecting over hardcore. And I had never been to see him. He's like he's like oh he's like all right, uh, come with me next week. Whatever uh, it was Uniform Choice and Warzone were playing. Um, oh, so that was like, that was the first time I ever went to CB's and, uh, and I think we took the train, I think we took the train. And so from rock, 
We're we're actually in in the quickest one of the quickest trains on the Long Island Railroad. Uh, Ronkonkoma is like the is sort of like a hub that um, it's probably about an like uh, it's probably about an hour and fifteen minutes on by train to get to Penn Station, and then it would probably take like another twenty minutes to get downtown to CB's. I think we only we did that a few times, and then I turned seventeen, and uh, it was like. I was just telling this story on another show. Um, the first time that uh, we ever went to the Anthrax Club in Connecticut was it was on like the day that I got my like my my uh, my driver's license, and it was like Gorilla. I think it was Gorilla Biscuits. I, I know it was Gorilla Biscuits side. Gorilla Biscuits side by side. I think maybe Bold was playing. Um, it was the show. It was the show where they took the picture for uh, the way it is cover. Oh, cool. um the the photo oh yeah the photo yeah. On the, on the, yeah. Photo. yeah um shout out bj papas yes yeah <laughs> uh so it was that show and um and we and it was i had just got my driver's license so so and our plan you know back then you know we we didn't even have maps like never mind like uh you know like gps we didn't even sure. have a map our to stop at a was, gas station and ask for directions. It, exactly. <laughs> our, our plan was to just drive to Connecticut, um, see if we could see signs for like Danbury or Norwalk or whatever, and then just pull in, just pull over and just ask somebody if they know where the, where anthrax goes. Wow. So we actually, we did that. We drove to Connecticut. Um, we saw the sign. We're like, well, oh, you know, Danbury. So we pulled off there and then there were these kids skating in a parking lot. And we asked them where the anthrax club was and they told us, and that's, that's how we got there. Um, and then, so then when we would drive, when I would drive to CB's, um, it would, it, I actually grew up two blocks away from the Long Island Expressway. So it was, driving to the city was like a straight shot from, from where I was. So I would usually pick up Tom and drive into the city and it would only take, um, it would only take about an hour Mm. um from my from from uh holbrook to uh uh to cbgb so it wasn't it wasn't terrible um there were kids there were like alan lived further north so for him it was probably like an hour and 20 an hour and a half drive um you know and there were definitely some kids not too many but some kids like even further east than us um and 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 like a lot of the guy like a lot of the hardcore kids on long island who grew up in nassau county for them, see, getting to Seabees was probably like a half hour, 40 minute thing tops. So it wasn't, you know, it, yeah, no, Long Island is right there. And I mean, you know, we, my friends and I actually joke because, you know, Brooklyn and Queens are actually on Long Island. Um, mm. But my, but my, uh, you know, my friends who grew up in Queens or in Brooklyn, you know, you can't tell them that they're on <laughs> Long Island. That's what I heard. I remember there was, uh, there was a meep meep episode, one of the early ones. Uh-huh. And, uh, I think it might have been a guy from Incendiary, that band Incendiary. From, yeah. They're from yeah, Long Island. Yeah. And he said the same thing. And, like, I think some of their the reviews on iTunes, someone was like, I stopped as soon as he said Brooklyn was part of Long Island or blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> to me, like, I'm, out, I'm outside Philadelphia. Like, so none of that. I don't have I, I have no, like, no concept. Like, New York, yeah. yeah. Well, now yeah, Long Island yeah, has its own no, thing I mean, going on. In the old days, I mean, not to get off the subject of hardcore, but like the, in the old days, they used to they used to call like if you were not in Manhattan, they would call whatever was east of 
Manhattan, Long Island. Mm. Um, like, like uh, in the, I saw in the Don Rickles um, uh, documentary, he grew up in Jackson Heights, which is in Queens. And actually, uh, Gorilla Biscuits, uh, some of the Gorilla Biscuits guys were uh, from yeah. Jackson Heights. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but in the movie, he says, you know, and this was only like maybe 10, 15 years ago. He says, you know, I grew up in Jackson Heights, Long Island, you know, mm. so it was, it was an old school thing. But the, but, the, you know, the people that I know who grew up in Brooklyn and Queens, like you, could, you couldn't possibly tell them they grew up on Long Island. Like they'll, they'd have serious beef about that for sure. <laughs> the, the list of bands in punk and hardcore that has come from Long Island is wild. And it sounds to me like Beyond was really the first one to to have like a name of some sort. I mean, you were the in the first wave of the like straight edge hardcore, you know, in in what's now known in the world as Youth Crew or whatever, the golden age of New York hardcore. So you guys were like there. And, you know, one of the reasons that we're talking to you today is because you have a new documentary out and watching that documentary, you know, I grew up not really listening to Beyond. It just, it it was a hard record to find back when I got into hardcore. You know, you couldn't just walk into a record store and grab it like you could some of the other Revelation Records stuff. Yeah. So to see how like interlaced you were from the beginning with Youth of Today, Project X. Um, And then to me, one of the most striking things of the entire documentary, and no spoilers, because I really do want people to watch this, is Walter talking about Beyond and about the effects that the members of Beyond had on hardcore and post-hardcore especially. So it, it's, it's really interesting. And, and if, you, if you love hardcore and like researching and knowing all the lore, to watch this movie and really connect those dots and, and make the connection between all of those bands. Yeah, I mean, we were really lucky. I mean, this it was it was kind of like uh, you know this sort of like a, this amazing thing that happened. Like like Tom and I, uh, we well you know beyond with Dominic and Lance, we recorded the demo, at like uh, like in Holbrook at a recording studio in Holbrook, and um, and we brought it to some records. Some records was a, a store that sold only hardcore records. This is nineteen eighty. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how long they were. It was around for, um, but it was it it was it was sort of like a crucial place for New York hardcore. Um, was some records, and everyone sold their demos there. He, he had a he had a rack of demos up at the front counter, and that's where I bought all my hardcore demos. Was from was from some records. Um, so that was sort of like our goal, like let, let's record a, a demo and bring it to some records, you know, and hopefully, you know, people will like it. And Dwayne who ran some records, he loved the demo. Like we brought it. I remember like we dropped it off. He's like, all right, cool, whatever. And we came back the next week. And he's like, wait, you were the kids who dropped off that, beyond, that demo beyond. And he told us how much he loved it. 
and he had um, uh, he he actually told I, I tried to get him for the documentary, but uh, and I sp- did speak to him on the phone, but he wasn't he wasn't up for appearing in the documentary. But he told me the story of, of when he heard the demo, he actually closed the shop, and Purcell was working somewhere on. Uh, First Avenue, there was a health food store on First Avenue, I think Purcell, Mark Ryan from Supertouch, I think even HR or, or someone from Bad Brain or Dr. No maybe, someone from Bad Brains worked there but uh, I think Purcell was working there at the time and um, from what I, from the story that I that I'm pretty sure uh, Dwayne told me the story that he closed the shop and he ran to the sh- store to bring a copy of the demo to Purcell and then, so then Purcell heard the demo uh, and then he wrote us a letter and that was like, you know, like that was pretty huge for like, you know, I mean, our, our demo had only been, you know, at some records for like two weeks, <clears throat> like two weeks. And already we got a letter from the guitar player of our favorite bands, you know, like our favorite New York bands of all time. So it was like, it was incredible. And he, uh, I remember he included, he included money to buy, to buy more copies of the, of the demo and uh he basically said he wanted us to open up for his bands so then uh and how old were you not, at this point what's that how old were you at this point 17 i was 17 at this time so uh yeah i mean it was it was pretty amazing and I, i've actually i talked about this in the liner notes uh when uh when revelation re-released the demo on with the wnyu performance um i uh you know it's sort of that sort of like spoiled me for like adulthood because like once I became an adult I sort of just assumed like all right whatever music you make or whatever art you make or whatever things you do in life somebody you admire is going to discover it you know and and that wasn't the case that was only the case with beyond you know that Um, release is great by the way everyone if you somehow don't have it the I was just looking through it for in prep for this today and um it's uh, the the Beyond demo that's obviously referenced a lot in this conversation in the movie and the set on WNYU. And there's a sick booklet with liner notes by a uh, friend of the pod, Tony Rettman. So bid it bow to Tony Rettman. Yeah, uh, Tony Rettman wrote the uh, wrote the uh, the liner notes. Um, yeah, no, we were really happy with that release. They did, you know, Jordan and them, they did, they did an amazing job. Um, so yeah, I mean, once we, once we got, once we, you know, and then our first show, we, uh, uh, opening up for them was with, uh, Project X up in Buffalo. You know, we drove up to Buffalo and, uh, we went to Niagara Falls together and it was, you know, it was sort of this sort of like, you know, I think for like everyone involved, it was sort of like this sort of like very memorable trip, you know, um, and then, and then just things started sort of snowballing. Um, you know, then, then uh, Walter would ask us to open up for Gorilla Biscuits. Uh, and then Tom, Tom actually moved into uh, Ray Capo and I think Ray Purcell and Alex Brown were sharing an apartment in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, which was not the Williamsburg of today, by the way. It was, you know, like Williamsburg back then was like, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was a pretty rough neighborhood. Um, and uh, and uh, we would go in there to hang out with like Purcell and Alex, and uh, I, rem- I remember going there the first first time going there, and there was like a murder, like um, like we were going to the subway to get back to the to to Long Island, 
and the subway platform was closed because someone had just gotten shot there like 15 minutes before, you know, it was just, but now like you go to Williamsburg and it's like, you know, it's like Beverly Hills or whatever. Yeah. But, um, but, uh, uh, Purcell and Alex lived there and they needed a roommate and Tom moved in with them, like, like pretty, uh, close to like, just right after we first met them. Um, so that helped, you know, that helped. And then, uh, so then we were just always sort of like included on like a lot of these like road trips and stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, we were, we were very lucky because, um, not too many people have that, you know, where you put something out and then almost immediately someone you, you really admire, uh, you know, recognizes it and, and, you know, sort of, I mean, Purcell really, Purcell, you know, and Walter really, uh, sort of opened up a lot of doors for, uh, for beyond. I liked how you got into the, uh, the artwork for the demo also. Cause that's just memorable. The graffiti oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the, on the demo yeah. and the do it, you know, that's just classic. So it was cool to see that in the documentary. And I yeah. saw that you and Dennis did, is it, you worked on the animation for the doc with, um, my friend Dennis Lucido. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Dennis did, Dennis did all the really impressive stuff. Like Dennis okay. is a real animator and a real graphics guy. And, um, you know, I had, I, I had done a lot of, uh, I'd done a lot of graphics that were not like up to snuff or whatever. And I showed the film to Dennis and he's like, well, this is where you can, he sh- we basically went through the entire film and he showed me what, uh, what I need to improve on. And he, and then he said like the thing, like the chimpanzee story, like he took, like he said, I'll, he's like, I'll animate, let me animate that. I want to do that. Yeah, and there were a couple other things that he, that he, uh, that he jumped in on. Um, so he really elevated the, he really elevated the sort of the quality of the, of the film. And, and uh, I mean, that's why, and I had to give him like creative consultant credit too, because besides mm-hmm. the animation, he just, you know, he really sort of helped guide me to, to get to get the, to a point where like, you know, everything was starting to look pretty good. And uh, you know, it was, it was looking a little little like i mean it still has it still has a very diy feel to it and yeah. that was you know because i didn't have a very expensive camera uh shooting but it was you know i had like a like an okay camera like a pretty decent camera yeah, and definitely. i just and i edited it on my laptop um someone else was supposed to edit it uh so i had a roommate in in uh brooklyn who i was sharing a loft space with and uh and he was a film editor and he okay. uh, and he was supposed to edit the uh, uh, edit the movie. He was supposed to edit and color the movie. And then when the pandemic hit, he was um, he has he had epilepsy, so he was afraid because of his health issues. He was afraid if if he stayed in New York, he might contract coronavirus, and that might be whatever. Oh wow! So yeah. he took off for he took off for Florida which ended up being a worse place to go. <laughs> yeah. But that's where his his girlfriend lived. Um, but so he was, so, you know, I was sort of like stuck. Like I, I had already edited, I had already done like rough edits, but I was never like a professional editor or whatever, but it forced me like, all right, like now, you know, and, and I stopped working once the pandemic hit. So I was like, I have like, you know, I have to buckle down and now it's sort of up, up to me. Like, let me see if I could do it. So I did, I mean, I would spend like 10 to 12 hour days, just like my head buried in the computer, um, just editing the film and then i think by like september i had like a working cut 
that I was started showing people to get their opinions. Okay. And so my friend Dennis was one. Um, Drew Stone, who who did the New York Hardcore Chronicles oh, yeah, movie, yeah. he was one person, and his his uh, his critique was very helpful and helped me sort of like force me to sort of like elevate sort of like the look of the film and sort of like fine tune a lot of stuff. Um, my friend Nate Tabor, same thing. He gave me he gave me like some really incredible notes. Um, so yeah, I was able to. Uh, you know, I was able to get it to a point where I was like, okay, now, now I'm pretty happy. Um, and I, you know, I, I initially promised that it was going to be 2020, um, that it was going to be up. So it was, it was really important to me for, to like, you know, it was always important to me that if I say something that I'm going to follow through on it. So, uh, mm-hmm. you made it. What you yeah. just described is punk as fuck and <laughs> very similar to the way that you described Vic learning how to play guitar. Like you just grabbed the fucking tools and you did it yourself. And like, like that's it, man, that you, you, you didn't wait for anyone to do it. And, and that's, that's the whole story. That's the whole story of beyond. You made a demo, you made the songs, you made the record and now you made the documentary too. I think, I think you're right. I think, I think probably my drive, um, like my creative drive definitely it comes from beyond and even more specifically comes from Tom Capone because I remember as a kid um, or, you know, teenager when we, we started beyond and Tom wanted to rehearse all the time. Like he wanted to rehearse all like, uh, so, uh, you know, I mentioned in the, in the, in the movie about uh, the crumb suckers who were another Long Island band, they were a huge influence on us. And, um, and Tom somehow, Tom knew everybody even before I even met him. He knew like the guys in nuclear. He, he was, he was more involved in like the metal scene, but then uh, also like also, you know, the hardcore scene. Um, but he knew the guys in like nuclear assault and he knew the guys in crumb suckers. And he had gone to like one of their rehearsals and he was like, and he used to always say he was, he was like the crumb suckers rehearse for hours. They practice almost every day. We have to be one of those bands. And all my friends, you know, being 16 years old, like all my friends were hanging out all the time. So I wanted to, you know, I wanted to go out and, and uh, you know, like hang out with my friends. But he was really, he was really insistent that we be one of those bands that rehearsed all the time. So if we weren't rehearsing with Dominic or Lance, we were at least like in his room, like going over songs. And, um, and he was really specific about, he wrote all, he, uh, I wrote, I wrote the first two lines to one kind word in a world that moves so fast. I try real hard to make things last because the rest of one, I wrote one kind word to the whole song and they were te- really bad teenage lyrics, but the first line, the, and Tom already had a great sense of what was good and what was bad. So he crossed out everything and he's like, we'll keep the first two lines. And then he wrote the rest of them. Um, and I came up the, with the idea for seasons. Um, but he wrote, it was my idea for a song but he actually wrote the song. Um, but uh, so, so he wrote all the lyrics, he wrote all the vocal parts and we would sit in his room and we would go, every, we would go over everything syllable by syllable. Like he knew exactly how he wanted everything to sound. So, um, you know, we did that, you know, we, we just rehearsed and practiced all the time. And, and that to me, for the rest of my life, like I, I can't say that I'm like that in like any professional sense like work wise, you know, I could be pretty lazy, like, like work wise or, you know, but creative, creatively, 
you know, I, I, I still carry that spirit. And, um, you know, like, like if I write songs on my acoustic guitar, you know, I'll sometimes spend like 10 to 12 hours, you know, in my living room, just, you know, play the guitar like nonstop. Um, or if I'm writing something, I'll sit down and I'll write like 30 pages and, and, you know, I'll, I just, if I feel the, if I feel the need to, or if I feel, I feel this sort of like laziness settling in, like my mind, it, you know, I hear Tom's voice in my head, basically like, you know, don't be sat, man. Keep, keep going. <laughs> don't so, be sat, uh, uh. so, uh, so yeah, that's, that all goes back to Tom. Um, so one of the, uh, Oh, I was going to ask, were those the original lyric sheets in the movie? It's got like flashes of lyric sheets. And then yeah, second part of that lyrics, question. I think those, uh, I'm trying to think uh, which those, th- yeah, those lyrics were included with the demo. That lyric sheet was oh, included okay. with the demo. Like okay. uh, maybe not every copy of the demo, but I think so. From what I and remember. It that, might that, be in the liner notes for that Rev release too, I think. the Yeah, they included it in the, li- the liner notes. Um, I think, I think I couldn't, I think uh, for that picture that I included in the documentary, I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find the actual lyric sheet. Like I was at, like I was yeah. uh, last summer or two summers ago, I was out at my mom's house and I was in the garage, just digging through shit, trying to find as much yeah. beyond related stuff as I could. That's what I was going to ask the process of getting the stuff together for the movie. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of uh, a couple of separate trips to my mom's house, just trying to find, sh- find shit. Um, finding old flyers i found i found our our demo our our, uh, our, per- our first performance at cbgb's like a cassette copy of that oh, unfortunate nice. unfortunately in 2000 and whenever hurricane sandy hit new york like 2012 something like 12, that yeah a lot of my a lot of my cassettes i i have this huge box of cassettes in my mom's house um it's got and it's got like all these demos that that like all my hardcore demos all my metal demos, like the Metallica demo and like, like, Assault, like all the old demos and like a good portion of those got ruined from the hurricane. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it broke my, it really broke my heart. Um, so, so the, the, uh, the, the CB's demo, uh, the intro, I, the intro sounded okay, which is why uh, for the CB section of the movie, I included uh, like me introducing ourselves we're beyond we're from long island or whatever and then and then somehow i found a digital copy of that performance uh in my itunes and i'm like how the, where, like where the hell did this come from and then i remembered sometime about nine to ten years ago someone sent me a link to a website that had a lot of the uh, CBGB's performances of like New York bands playing CBGB's and our beyond performance was on that, on that website. And so I, I was able to download it and, uh, but I completely forgot about it. I thought there, I was like, Oh, there's no way I'm going to include anything because the, just those tapes got ruined. Um, but, but I found this digital, this digital copy. Uh, but yeah, the, so the lyric sheet was um, the lyric sheet that I found um, there was a, there was, I can't remember which fanzine. It was either a fanzine called Stop and Think or it was In Effect um, okay. who printed our lyric sheet along with, alongside like our interview. 
Um, so basically I just, I scanned that, the lyric sheet from the fanzine, but, but we did include it in, uh, with the demo. Okay, cool. Yeah. How hard was it to get those third planet photos? That, oh, that you asked the right question because that was, <laughs> that was the heart, that was the hardest and the most heartbreaking, heartbreaking aspect of, of sort of doing that archeological dig because, you know, I, fe- I was able to find some really great stuff. I was able, like, and this is another thing, and I have to be really grateful to, like, everyone who was able to send me photos and, um, like, scan photos at home. Uh, you know, um, like Libby Watson in Cleveland, Kathy Bennett in Cleveland, uh, Mike Geneselli from 1.6 Band. So he had, he, had, he had two Third Planet photos. Um, originally... There was, there is a third planet video of that show somewhere in the world. Wow. Um, of the Battle we of the were, Bands? Of the Battle of the Bands performance. Uh, we were, uh, I do remember that year, later that year, this copies of that uh, VHS going around. Um, and uh, and I, so I do remember watching it. Uh, so then when it came, came time to do the movie, I was like, I have to find that, um, that third planet, uh, video and no one had it. Like I asked, I asked everyone in third planet. Like, I, I mean, people I hadn't spoken with in like 20 years, 30, you know, more than 30 years. Um, and no, no one had it. And then the drummer, um, Denny, he's, he's in one of the pictures, uh, Asian guy with like long hair. Um, he, uh, he lives in Georgia now, I think, and uh, and he said that he had it. He's like, I, he's like, I, he's like, I think I have it. It's in my garage. So it took a couple of months, and then one day he got back to me. He's like, I found it, and we were like, whoa! <laughs> and I'm like, and I was so excited, I couldn't believe it. So then apparently, like, but he didn't have a VCR, so he had, he went to a thrift store and bought bought two VCRs just in case. And he tried playing the de- he tried playing the tape, and he said it wouldn't play that he just got like white noise and it was, uh, it was just damaged like over the years. And I was like, Oh no. And at this point I had, I, I had no photos and no footage of, um, of third planet, but I had already, I'd already done like a lot of the interviews. <clears throat> so then I was thinking maybe I could try and get someone animated or something. Like I wasn't, I wasn't sure. And then Mike Geneselli had to move. Uh, he moved out. He moved into, uh, and he was getting divorced and he was moving to an apartment and, uh, and he found two photos, uh, the, 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 the first two photos in the movie or no, the, uh, the photo of Tom in like the Bermuda shorts, like singing. Um, he found that photo and then the, rehe- the photo of them rehearsing. There's like one photo of them rehearsing. Um, so that, but the thing is, is like Mike is an electrician and he's a, you know, he works like 60, 70 hour like work weeks. Like he's, he's just an insanely busy guy. So he found the photos, but actually getting him to, to uh, scan the photos and get the photos to me was like, um, you know, that took like a, like a, a year maybe to get <laughs> to do that. Um, and then the, the, the crazy thing was, was out of nowhere, this girl we went to high school with, um, I think her name was Leanne, uh, but I wasn't even friends with her on Facebook. Um, Lance, our, our first bass player was, uh, but he was also the bass player for third planet. He post, she posted two third planet photos, like completely out of nowhere. Um, 
from the battle the battle bands audition that year and lance so lance downloaded them and sent them to me he was like can you use these for your movie and i'm like what the fuck like holy <laughs> shit so like it was it was a miracle that i ended up with like like for the i mean i i started the movie you know three years you know at least three years ago i started shooting and uh all that time I was thinking, you know, there has to be like a third planet presence in this movie. And for the first two and a half years of working on the movie, I had nothing, you know, and then finally, like at the 11th hour, I was able to at least get, get, uh, get, um, you know, four photos, which, you know, uh, which were kind of a miracle. So, but it was, yeah. it was, a, it was really tough. It was really tough to get that stuff. And I did, you know, I, a lot of people, uh, like, uh, I definitely bothered a lot of people, um, you, you know, not just third planet, but just all the photos, like just but, I mean, pestering people with emails and text messages and Facebook messages. Um, so yeah, I really want to thank every, everyone who's helped help, or even people who, who didn't have photos, but were kind enough to respond to me and get back to me, you know, um, you know, I, I appreciate them, uh, being patient with me and uh you know and i'm and i'm glad i'm really glad that i don't have to uh bother them anymore (laughs) so one of the one of the underlying themes really always of beyond for me coming at it from a a retroactive point where you know i didn't know beyond in 1988 89 um you know, and it's touched on in the in the liner notes for the Sum Record CD with Walter, but really is also an underlying theme of the movie is I, Beyond is almost and it's new, like I love Beyond, but it's almost like it's a wonderful life in reverse where it shows like if you think about how different things would have been if you stayed together, like Vic mentions in the movie, like I should have stayed in New York and stayed in Beyond. But then you think like, well, if that happened, you know, we wouldn't have had, maybe wouldn't have had bold, you know, the bold seven inch with Tom quicksand 108 inside out. Um, you know, just all the stuff that happened as a result of beyond. And I think it was neat how the movie, Oh, burn. Um, you know, the movie sort of addresses that showing though, that even if that's the case that beyond, you know, had to end that beyond was a super important band in the lexicon of, not even just New York hardcore, but just hardcore and post hardcore in general. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we were just one of those like, what if bands, you know, there's, and Sammy mentions straight ahead too. I, you know, I think they were, they were, you know, in, in as far as like the New York hardcore sound, like a pure New York hardcore sound to me straight ahead was the most, it was the purest New York hardcore band of all time and they were too short-lived and you know so there were a lot of what-ifs and and we were definitely a what-if um you know all I could say is like we were kids like um you know like you know I have to say like I mean since Beyond broke up in 1989 um you know pretty much for since then I've been hearing it my entire life, man, if you guys stayed together, you could have been like this, that, or whatever, like, and, uh, you know, and that, to be honest with you, that's kind of like hard to process, you know, cause like I was, you know, I mean, I still play music now and I'm still, you know, trying to stay creatively active and, you know, and now beyond playing again. Um, but that's kind of like a tough thing to have like 
hanging over your shoulder, like, oh, you, you know, you guys could have been huge, you know, and then, and then, you know, and then afterwards people said that to me about 1.6 band after we broke up, you know, yeah. you guys, well, if you guys stayed together, you guys would have been huge. And like, you know, what do we like? What I, I can't change the past, you know, and like, um, you know, you know, we were kids. I mean, that's, that's the thing. And, you know, we were kids. You, you don't, you don't really know how to manage things. Well, I, there are, there are people who, uh, you know, I, one tremendously admirable thing about Walter Schreifels that I have to say is that he is a he the way he manages uh, his bands like he, he just he's he's really he really takes the bull by the horns with like everything that he does creatively. Um, and I and I remember that as a kid. I remember that being like being admirable. I, I remember him. I remember every like he had this house with uh, with Toby Morse. I think it was Toby Siv and Alan Cage. They they shared. They had a house in Jackson Heights. Um, and Walt and we were. Everyone was always ha- in the living room hanging out, but Walter was always in his room rehearsing or or writing songs or playing his guitar. So like there were you know, so he he had it together like a lot more like like than we did. Um, you know we we were just kids and we were you know we were we were. We were we love the music and we're fueled by the music. We didn't, we didn't really know how to hold it together, you know, hold the band together. Um, you know, but, you know, Vic was 17 years old, 18 years old when he moved to California with his parents. Like, you know, like that would, like if, if he would have stayed in New York, that would have been a huge deal to be like an 18 year old kid. And suddenly like, you're not, you know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people from the hardcore scene did that. Once they turned 18, they moved to the city and they, you know, they were seven people living in a two-bedroom apartment or whatever. Yeah, I think um, that's what Ray and Porcel did. They they moved to New York, uh, you know, after graduating high school or something. But what's like? Because in the movie too, you mentioned like you're you're all, you'll always be Kevin Beyond. You know, you did all these other bands, one point <laughs> six band, Last Crime. Those are the ones I know. And then you mentioned a couple of others. But I had always said. Uh, to even talking on the side, like to Jace, Jason and I especially are like super big, you know, beyond fans and have been for years and years and years. And Very true. I would, I would say like, if no longer at ease came out on revelation in 1989, I think the conversation would be completely different. I believe that beyond would be held in the same regard as all those other early rev releases, because Truthfully, you guys had a sound, and and I, what I think people need to watch the documentary is it really breaks down why Beyond Sound the way they do influence wise because you took from the stuff like Iron Maiden and you know that thrash metal and like you said Crumb Suckers, but also Dag Nasty, Bad Brains, Uniform Choice, Minor Threat, Uniform Choice, Uniform and Choice, they put it all in a blender, and that's Beyond. Like I can't think of bands that sound like beyond uh yeah um you know i you know again i don't uh you know there's you can only do so much like like knowing that you could have done this you could have done that um you know there was talk about revelation releasing like because initially the album was supposed to be um schism was supposed to do the record um 
And then you did today was just touring all the time. And uh, Al was playing with uh, Gorilla, Al Brown had joined Gorilla Biscuits. So schism wasn't really like a thing anymore. And then, so then we were like, shit, we re- we had this record. We recorded this record. So we did, I think we did talk to Jordan about it. Um, but we were breaking, I think we were already breaking up at the time. So, I mean, it probably wouldn't have been a good investment for Jordan to, uh, you know, to invest money in a record for a band that was breaking up, you know. And then, so then Dave Stein in Albany, uh, when he was in Albany, he picked it up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Walter said, you know, Walter said that in one of the interviews we did for the movie. I don't think I include, you know, the thing about editing a movie is like you sort of, you can't clip, you can't include everything. Like even, even though you have all these like great nuggets that like, oh, I want this to be and I want this. And you sort of have to choose what works well with the following clip or the previous clip or just works with like the, the story as a whole. So, so like there were, you know, I, I definitely have some nuggets that, that didn't make it to the movie. And one of them was, was Walter saying like, like w- what if Revelation uh, released the record? You know, that it would, it probably would have been held, you know, in the same esteem as, uh, you know, all the, like the, all the other, you know. Yeah, uh, save it for the Blu-ray with a bonus, deluxe bonus of a Blu-ray. Yeah, there, there's, a, probably, there's probably going to be a, a DVD or, or DVD. I don't know about Blu-ray. I don't, I don't know about uh, having those pressed. Um, I've never even owned a Blu-ray machine, but, uh, but there, there is going to be a hard copy um, made of the films at some time in 2021 you know, hopefully spring of 2021. We may, do it. This, this is, we may do something attached to that. Uh, uh, we, uh, I was considering possibly doing like a flexi disc that included, um, so on our WFMU performance um, from 1989, uh, there, we played a couple of songs that uh, either morphed into other songs that were on the album or just we never, songs we never recorded. So we were, th- we were thinking about doing like a flexi disc with just including like two or three of those songs um, along with the DVD. Do you know? it. So there, there, might be, there might be something like that. Um, you know, we're, I, w- I was talking about, I was thinking about doing a, a zine f- along with the DVD. The only thing is like a, like a lot of the stuff that I was initially going to include, uh, Tom reminded me, he's like, oh, that's in the booklet for, that stuff's in the booklet for the demo revelations demo release um there is still a lot of stuff that isn't included in that booklet so i still may do like a do like a thing and and uh i'll probably i may even call it shred which was the name of Vic's scene um the bmx like scene, scene right like he, he had a fan he had a fanzine it was it had music in it but it was mostly like skateboarding and um and bmx by he was an amazing bmx skateboard guy um what can't that guy do? Jeez. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Right? You know, he Jesus. Was, he, was just, he was just one of those people who just, everything that he picked up was just, um, you know, was just gold. Yeah. Uh, that's all. I love that guy. So. Yeah. I hope, yeah. I hope to see him again at some point when, uh, you know, hopefully I would love to see him with beyond i know you guys have played and sometimes he'll he'll be there and sometimes you know i mean really at the core the the start of the band was you and tom so to me it's like as long as you and tom were up there you know it's it can be beyond that's yeah i mean you know we do well right now when we do play like locally 
uh, Larry Gorman plays drums and Larry was, and you know, he's in the movie. Uh, Larry was sort of like our sidekick. He was like, he was always coming on our road trips and he was, and he was, and he would come to our rehearsals and he was just learning to play drums. So he would watch, he actually learned to play drums by watching Alan play Beyond songs. Not a bad so like, so <laughs> when it came time to have someone, um, step in like Larry was like the obvious choice like he was you know and he know he he actually knows the songs better than we do he's like when we play with Larry he's sort of like our musical director like he 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 knows every little nuance of every little guitar part of all like the guitar solos I love he that. knows like like all, like the bass stuff like he knows every he knows everyone's parts um so it's it's really like incredibly impressive um like when he plays I love when we play with Vic. It really feels like really extra special, you know, just for all those things you said about like being high school friends. And, you know, like he was, you know, he was, you know, he was our bass player for all those really like amazing shows that we played. His stage um, presence is just always so awesome. Like it, he just, yeah, exactly. This can like, it's a whole different thing. I would love to, can, do you think we could ever see the, the core, like would Alan, is there a reason Alan hasn't oh, done? Uh, well, when we we first started, we did a reunion show in 2006 with Dominic, who played on the on the demo. Um, we did a reunion with him in 2006, and I think we initially did ask Alan, and um, and I think Quicksand was I don't know what they were, I think they were like semi active at that time. Uh, but anyway, Tom Tom had spoken with Alan, and Alan's wasn't wasn't sure about it um he was uh uh i don't know he was sort of on the fence and then he decided he wasn't up for it so then when he so then in 2013 oh no so i don't I, maybe quicksand wasn't active back then but in 2013 when we were asked to do the black and blue sh- bowl or 2014 yeah, that was 2014 yeah black and 2014 blue. that was sergio um, from quicksand played bass but right so yeah, so uh, so basically, when it came up to who who was going to play the show, um, we got uh, uh, Tom was Tom was actually on tour. He was playing in Japan, I think, with Quicksand or something. He was he was flying. I remember he told me he was flying uh, in a he, he was in a plane with Quicksand when he was talking to Alan about possibly doing the show, and then Alan uh, like Alan passed on it. So then he, so then he, so then we just, so then Dominic was actually going to play that show. And then Tom and Dominic got into like a sort of disagreement about things <laughs> that I wouldn't want to get into. Um, so then Dominic opted out and, but we were, we were rehearsing at Larry, the studio where Larry works. So Larry was actually working, <laughs> working that night. So, so after, after Tom and Dominic got into the fight, Dominic left and then Tom was like, I'm going to go ask Larry to play. <laughs> so Larry great. actually came in and like jumped in and then Vic was supposed to play. And then Tom and, and Tom and Vic got into like a, an argument. Um, <laughs> and then Vic decided he wasn't flying <laughs> to New York. So then Sergio opted to, to play with us, so, you know, um, which was pretty amazing. I mean, to, uh, you know, there was, you know, uh, I mean, the cool thing about hardcore is like no one has to be a professional musician. It's all about like the spirit of it. But to be to be like suddenly I was like 
on stage with three people who at least at one time, all of them had been professional musicians. Right. And I was sort of like the only like DIY guy left in the group. So it was a little intimidating, but it was also like amazing too. like, um, to, you know, to be able to be, to be on the stage with like Sergio, who was just fucking killing it, you know, and oh, he has like insane, insane st- stage pre- presence and just that big fucking sound that he has. Um, it was pretty. It was not pretty a, awesome. Not a bad replacement for you know for Vic. No, no, not can't have Vic. But um, so I want to put out into the universe that life is short. We need to see beyond with Kevin, Tom, Vic, and Alan, all four playing. Especially yeah. after seeing this movie, I think it would be the perfect um, way to kind of tie everything up in a bow. One thing I wanted to ask before wrapping, before uh, you know, then to, giving it to Javier to sort of wrap things up. You mentioned Dwayne from some records that you reached out to him about being in the film. Is there anybody else you reached out to that just politely declined that you can mention or, uh, or that got cut out in the editing process that maybe we could expect to see if there's bonus features they didn't make the no, movie? I mean, the, I would say the only, as far as like editing, the only, I wish I could have used more of Gavin Van Vlack's interview, Gavin from Burn. Um, Cause he did, you know, he, he, he went into like a, uh, cause you know, after beyond and Tom uh, Allen was in, um, was in burn at the time. And I sort of like lost touch with Allen and Tom for like a little, I went to college and sort of was doing my own, like my own thing for a while. And uh, so, so Gavin was sort of like filling in the blanks for me, like what Allen was up to, like during that time he was in burn. Um, and I wish, I wish, you know, just because Gavin is such a huge, um, important person in the history of New York hardcore, if not maybe the most important person. He's he's sort of like the core of like New York hardcore in a lot of ways. I wish I would could have included more of his footage, but like I said, like when you edit, you you sort you sort of like see the story unfolding, and, and you sort of have to just pick everything that that's best for that that specific moment in the film. Um, well, here's so, the thing, uh, but there was. I- because I edit our podcast and I'll pick stuff up. You know, I, I learned to start rolling as soon as, as soon as a guest signs on and I'll, I'll do some bonus episodes for our Patreon. So I'm just throwing it out there. You could always just be like, Hey, this, this is just the extended Gavin interview or, you know, we've all had to pivot a little bit because of being locked down. So who knows? Like, you could have the your own podcast and your own show with like all of this kind of scraps and and friends that you have from this. Yeah, no, I mean that's not a bad idea. I mean, I would love to. I would love to definitely uh, like get get some of that interview stuff out there. Like either like put it online or do um, you know like maybe bonus footage on the on the DVD or something yeah. like that. Yeah, the New um, York Hardcore Chronicles yeah. did a really good job of that because he made a movie of it. But then if you look on YouTube, it's like there's a Harley interview and there's a Porcel interview. Right. And it's like right. he's got all the, the separate ones that's maybe the stuff that didn't make it in. So yeah, I, just yeah. a thought. Yeah, just there. a thought. Because <laughs> people want to see like as as fans, like we want to see. I want stuff. content, man. Yeah. I want like, to see it and I, I want to hear it. I want the stories. I know. I know. Yeah, I know. I got I to gotta go through everything um, like Do right it. now you know, like I was saying before, like it is such a, like, you know, after editing 
from, from it really went from like March up until like, you know, like two weeks ago, like my head was buried in a computer for 10 to 11 hours a day. Yeah. And, and like, and it's something it that you have to be actively like paying attention to. It's not, it can't be just in the background. It's like, that's yeah, all. No. And yeah. It was actually, and like, like I said, I'm pretty focused when I, when I dive into something, I can stay pretty focused, um, you know, so much so that I actually forget to eat sometimes, which is really bad. Um, <laughs> and uh, maybe you know, I need to start uh, being a little more creative and I'll forget to eat. Yeah. Noted. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also Kevin. have like responsibilities too. And there, there, was, yeah. there were definitely times when like the cat was like screaming at me. She wanted to eat <laughs> or I need to clean her box. But I was so like, my head was so, you know, so it's a relief that, it's a relief to, to pull my head out of the computer for a little bit and just do stuff like this, you know, because yeah. this is, you know, this is a, like, this is a lot of fun and yeah. like talking and doing the promotion is like way more fun than, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's I important mean, though to, to have like the, the, having the beyond documentary and having, you know, not to toot our horn, but having the podcast, the podcast isn't important because of me, Javier or Jason, but it's yeah. important to have, to have the, the stories out there involved. Yeah have the stories out there because like we didn't, you know, we, we didn't have this even when we got into hardcore, it was like, we had fanzines and like word of mouth, which is awesome, but it's kind of nice to have everything, you know, uh, you want to learn about beyond cool. Here's a couple podcasts. Yeah. You can read this. I would also say, speaking of beyond get Vic's book, train wrecks and transcendence. Yes, I, sure. I've yes. read it a bunch of times I've it twice yeah it's it's, it's it's great and yeah you know watch the documentary get there like there's so much information out there it's it's a lot easier to kind of master or yeah, like it used learn. to just be scraps of like you know on a blog where someone would write about a record and then maybe they would give their experiences or you know, a scan from an old zine or something. And then people started making books and then people started doing podcasts and then people started doing YouTube videos. So it's like the amount of information that's out there specifically about beyond, but about all of the past 30 years of hardcore right now, we're at the the apex of that. And it could, stuff could keep getting unearthed. Stories could still be told uh, bridges could be rebuilt. You know what I mean? Like the whole, it, it could just keep, keep going on, but people have to like jump in and do it. And the, the last point that I want to make here on this interview, Kevin, is that from watching the documentary and from listening to you talk, from listening to you talk today, you are proud to have been in beyond and I can't say that about a lot of people in bands. It was like, oh yeah, I was in a band, whatever. I played on this record. I did this. And it's not in like a weird trying to reclaim some former glory or some like weird Al Bundy shit with you. It's like you, this was a cool thing that you did. And it kind of seems like maybe somewhere along the way, that was a conscious thought it wasn't just like you were in this band and you were in this band it's like somewhere post 2006 it really struck you and you're like I did this thing that was really important to me and I am so happy to share it with the world 
Yeah, I mean, I think once we start doing the interviews, I mean, not the interviews, I'm sorry. Uh, once we start doing the reunion shows, which was the first one was in 2006, then you really start to, like, appreciate it. Um, oh, was that that because, one? Because from, from 19... For the, the which one? The, for the, the Connecticut show? or The no, George Mason University show in Fairfax, Virginia. Yeah, the, 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 there was a blizzard that night. So I remember, I remember it was that. like... Um, yeah, Told it was a blizzard. You, Jason, so, remember I said, I was like, that's why I didn't even buy... Because I'm, you know, I was like, there was a blizzard. I was like, I'm not... Yeah, there was a blizzard that night, so it wasn't like there weren't like a lot of people there, but it was still that. So that was our first show since since 1989, and then the next day we played in Connecticut, where the blizzard the blizzard had moved north to Connecticut. So we were so we were in the blizzard there, but that show that show had packed out, and um, and that was another thing like the footage from the Connecticut show. Like I like I didn't I only found that sh- footage like this year. Sometimes someone okay someone someone posted it on Instagram like like Connecticut hardcore thing that I follow. Yeah. And uh, someone and I'm like, wait, there's footage from that show, because um, I've been looking for years for that. Um, so I was really psyched about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, you do appreciate it more. I mean, the older you get, you just just start appreciating things more. Because um, it's far you know, enough in the know. rear view, I think, is what. Because I know even with me, like bands I did weren't nearly as like uh, impactful as Beyond. But like you reach a point where at first it's done and you maybe lament a little bit and then you move past it and you're kind of like, hey, whatever. And then I think as you start to get older and you look back and all the drama and stuff and like that, you don't really remember as much as just all the good stuff. And yeah, I think it's good to be to be proud of, of what you've done. And I think sometimes with hardcore, there's a lot of like, you know, you don't want to seem like you're proud and you want to kind of just be like, uh, yeah, I did this, but like, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't really care. So it's, it's refreshing to see, but it seems like all the guys care. Like I watched the movie, like Vic seems to be stoked that he played in beyond and Tom, um, you know, and even like, how often do you see Alan Cage doing? That was the first time I had seen Alan in like maybe 15 years. It had been like, I, I couldn't even tell you the last time I saw, saw Alan, like he was, he was definitely the one person I had um, I'd probably been the furthest from um, over the years. I, and he's I, not actually I, someone that's known for doing a lot of interviews. Like I don't, you can't really, you know, you can't really go and find, a, you know, a bunch of Alan Cage interviews and especially yeah, on screen. For, for sure. For sure. Um, and I was really surprised that he, um, that he did the, that he was going to do the, I, you know, cause I hadn't spoken with him in a long time. Um, my friend Jason was in touch with him a little bit. Uh, and then I think, I think after I did Walter's interview, I, I suspect maybe Walter had given me like the thumbs up that it was like, you know, something worth doing. Um, but he was, we know all about I, that. Like sometimes it takes like, it takes like a person to make be like, yeah, this is legit. Very yeah. Curious. Yeah. But he was, he was, he was really enthusiastic. Um, he, I mean, he, he, he took the subway to, to, Astoria where we did the interview and he he lives in like South Brooklyn. So that must, you know, it's been like a good subway ride for him, but he was, and he showed up and he was really enthusiastic. We talked like, I probably spoke with Alan more than anyone else. Like, like as far as like the length of the interview, his, his interview was, was well over an hour. It was like maybe like an hour and 20 or something. We just talked and, and he was happy to talk and, and he was, you know, he's, he's also incredibly articulate and he remembered everything pretty much exactly how I remembered everything, which wasn't always the case. So it was good. It was good to have Alan to always cut to because because 
the way I remembered things, you know, I started questioning how I remembered things, but then Alan sort of confirmed everything, you know, cause he would describe everything exactly how I remembered it too. So he was, I was he, glad he, as a fan to see, you know, everybody represented because like I said, Al, especially Alan always to me had this like air of like mystery, but the guy has played. He's, he's, a, like, he's a he's a behind the scenes guy. He's yeah. not, you know. I mean, he's, the drummers are, are are sometimes like that, and he's you know he's also very uh, you know he's just he can be very serious guy. He's very he can be very serious. So um, his no, resume would, is incredible, though. Like his, his resume his, is his resume. Him and like I said, and Vic and all you yeah. guys. Like I mean, you know. You, you don't have a no, no disrespect, but like you guys don't have a junkyard on, on the, uh, <laughs> on the resume to, to bring it to dag nasty. Like, and, uh, right. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's true. Um, and I, you know, I think, you know, like, I mean, it's not even a matter of, I, I am very proud of beyond. I'm, I'm incredibly proud of beyond. That's, that's true. But I have to say like, for me, I am just incredibly lucky. Like I happen to go to the right high school, and meet the right people and you know i like i said i was left-handed so i didn't learn to play guitar until my 20s so i was friends with all these amazing musicians but i didn't have anything to contribute musically because i was left-handed um so when hardcore came along and tom and i met tom capone and the opportunity to sing for beyond like i you know i finally i was able to like do something and contribute like musically um and, you know, just to be, you know, just to be surrounded by like all, like all, all these really talented people, like, like Tom, Vic, Lance, Dominic, Mike from 1.6 band, Lance, who was also 1.6 band, Vinny from 1.6 band, you know, we all, we were all friends since we were like 15, 16 years old, um, you know, and that's, you know, that's just, that's really just luck, you know, just luck that I was, I went to the right high school and I, and I just, you know, uh, was able to make friends with them with with these incredibly talented people Evan where can someone find this beyond documentary on the world wide web there's a web there's a website uh what awaits us dot nyc um and that is and there there'll be links it's the the um the Movie is up on Vimeo, mm -hmm. but you can find links to the to Vimeo at the website uh, whatawaitsus.nyc. Well, we really appreciate you taking time out of your day and talking about hardcore with us. Like, man, we're we're so lucky that this is just something the three of us get to hang out, talk all day long in a text message thread <laughs> about hardcore. And then get together and talk to people from bands, record labels, all this stuff, and really like get these stories and help people get their story out there. Because I'm sure there's people who are listening to this who are like, oh, fuck, Beyond has a documentary? Sick. I'm going to go watch that. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that we really want to do. Um, so we appreciate that. Everybody go over to that website check it out. We're also drop the links in our stories on Instagram, all that stuff. So people can track it down and uh, can't wait to see what's coming up in 2021 for you, Kevin, honestly. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. This, Thank this you. Really was so much fun. Like I really Sorry it went longer than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I,